0: I like challenges. I like to sign up for physical things that I would likely suck at. If you're lacking in sleep, then again, you're dehydrated, you could possibly injure yourself. Because you know if I look at someone's progress from the neck down, it's always coming from the neck up. Some of the team captains will encourage some of the people within the team, but they will actually bark orders at others because they respond differently. So I think everyone's going to be different to a certain degree. The more that you scratch that itch of consistency
1: let Welcome back to the
2: Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Okay, friends, I really enjoy today's conversation. It is definitely out of my comfort zone. I honestly always get a little bit intimidated when talking to people really deep in the exercise world, the bodybuilding world, the endurance world, just because extreme athleticism is not my personal cup of tea, not my forte, but I do think athletic performance is so important and beyond that, I just really love being inspired by and learning from people who really push their bodies to the limits. So when Chris Gethins people reached out to me, I was so intrigued by him and he ended up being just so incredible. We had way more alike than I would have realized. He really appreciates and understands the importance of diet and mindset and even fasting now. And he has his own supplement line, which he created for honestly, a lot of the same reasons that I created my supplement line. I've really enjoyed getting to know him and I really think you guys will enjoy today's conversation. We touch on on so many important topics like how to properly recover from exercise activities, thoughts on steroids, whether or not you should do fasted training, the role of protein in diet and amino acids and BCAAs, supplements like electrolytes, continuous glucose monitors, how men versus women should approach fitness, so many fun things. And I can't wait to hear what you guys think. The show notes for today's episode will be at MelanieAvalon.com slash Chris That is I S S G E T H I N. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. There will be two episode giveaways for this episode. One will be in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods Plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something that I love. And then find my Instagram. Check out the Friday announcement post. And again, comment there to enter to win something that I love. If you're enjoying this show, honestly, the best way to support it is to subscribe and or write a brief review in Apple Podcasts. It helps so much more than most people realize. So thank you so, so much in advance for that. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life, and I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male-centric or focused on a certain type of person, and I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon Official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it, so please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay friends, spirulina update, it is still coming. I know it's been taking a while, it's just because I want to make the most ideal spirulina tablets on the market, ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source, it tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you are currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experience the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code Melanie Avalon, as well as a 20% off code when you text Avalon X to 877-861-8318. That's Avalon X to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash MDLogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. They come in glass bottles to help prevent leaching of plastics into ourselves and the environment. And we even use the minimal amount of stickiness required for the labels to help with our environmental impact. To get these fantastic products, go to avalonx.us and definitely get on my email list so that you don't miss the spirulina launch special. For that, go to avalonx.us slash email list. Another resource for you guys. If you struggle with food sensitivities like I do, you have got to get my app food sense guide. It's a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds. These include things you may be reacting to like gluten, lectins, FODMAPs, histamine, oxalates, sulfites, thiols, whether or not something is a nightshade, and so much more. It even includes autoimmune paleo AIP status. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends, get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. on a mission to change this every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin so you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work i am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel their vitamin c serum they have shampoo and conditioner skincare lines for every skin type and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all Beauty Counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code cleanforall20 to get 20% off sitewide. Without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with Chris Gethin. Hi friends, welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I am about to have. So here is the backstory on today's conversation. It is about a topic or topics that admittedly I do not personally engage with intensely, which is things like strength training and bodybuilding and endurance exercise. And I will clarify by that to say that I really appreciate the importance of physical movement and muscle and all of that, but I just personally am not the type of person that does routines. <laughs> around all of this, the irony is that I think it's super, super important for health and longevity, both good and bad, which we probably will talk about in today's episode. And I know it affects so many people, and I know I should be doing more episodes about it. So I get really excited when people who are really, really cool in this area reach out to me about coming on the show. So that happened with Chris Gethin. He's like a legend. He has a huge following. He's the co-founder of Chris Gethin Gyms in India, Cage Supplements, which is international, Chris Gethin Coaching. He's the host of the Chris Gethin Podcast. He's a hybrid athlete, which we will talk about in today's show, a former natural pro bodybuilder, a Welshman, a self-identified biohacker. So I love that. And he recently wrote a book called Man of Iron, a world-class bodybuilder's journey to become an Man," which was very inspiring and also super cool because he's doing something that a lot of people don't do, at least from what I see, which is that a lot of people seem to be doing either the bodybuilding aspect side of things or the endurance side. And he kind of brought it together and had the experience of accomplishing an Ironman, which is super amazing. So I read his book. It's really cool. There's actually a lot of things we have in common that I did not anticipate. and I'm really excited to dive into today. So Chris, thank you so much for being here. I'm really looking forward to this.
0: I'm really looking forward to it too. Thank you very much for that introduction. Really appreciate you having me on.
2: Well, actually, and to start things off, uh, normally I start with people's personal stories, but the one piece of your bio that I didn't read, you said that you're 48 years old with a biological age of 26. I'm curious, which program or clock or platform do you use to measure that?
0: So I try to put put together like a combined effort because I know you know, one party will argue that this is correct and that's correct. So I've averaged it between glycan age, telomere testing and methylation testing. So with those three combined, I've been able to sort of biohack my biological age. I think I do feel much better now at 48 than I did in my 20s. So I think that should correlate. Maybe the injuries hold me back a little bit, but I think it does correlate because I've I've really changed my lifestyle from a typical bodybuilder style, I'd say nutritional protocol, training protocol over the past eight years. And it's over the past eight years that I've been able to slowly reduce my biological age.
2: That is super awesome. And very interesting. Literally the last episode that I recorded for this show. We talked all about Glycan H. It's super legit. We were talking about it for uh, a product that you stir in your water. And they've done studies on people drinking the water and it affected their glycan age. And for that, they look at basically glycated cells and how inflammation factors are affected. So that's super cool. And you already touched on a huge topic that I would love to talk to you about, which is how the different types of lifestyles involving different types of training can affect health and longevity. But
1: before that...
2: A little bit about your personal story. So like I said, listeners can get your book Man of Iron to hear the full thing, but you have a crazy story. You've done like all the things, lived all the places. I know there's a lot there, but what are the, the highlights for what brought you to what you're doing today?
0: I would say what brought me into the like the health and fitness industry was motocross. You know, I raced motocross competitively for about 11 years, I believe it was. I just accumulated a lot of injuries over that time. It was a back injury, so I've got a major curvature of the spine. My spine is actually left aligned in my pelvis by over an inch. So that really put an end to everything. And I went to a lot of specialists, and nobody could really alleviate me of specifically the back pain until I went to physiotherapy and started resistance training because training for motocross, there was no resistance training. It was mostly all cardio. And I started to get alleviated of the pain because now my spine was being aligned by the muscles that were becoming taut and more developed. So I really enjoyed that feeling, obviously, of being alleviated of the pain. I was alleviated of the depression associated with that because for years I'd gone from being an adrenaline junkie to nothing. So I'd crossed into an abyss. So I started reading more about it, about nutrition and training, and I realized that I could retain this content quite well. So I went to college for several years to study it which then gave me my ticket to remove myself from Wales, my social circle, and travel to various countries as a personal trainer or gym owner or an editor. So I started writing content and editing content within the bodybuilding Circles. I was competing as a natural bodybuilder at that time, so it correlated with itself. I wanted to figure out how I could reach out to more people. So it was one on one training. Then I purchased my first gym when I moved to Australia. Then I thought, okay, how can I reach more people? There was no internet back then. This is back in 2000. So I started writing for magazines. I taught myself how to write journalistic and uh, contributing content. And then that took me to the US, to LA, the mecca of bodybuilding, where I got a contract working for Weider Publications for Mr. Joe Weeder back in the day. And then that brought me to Boise, Idaho, because I published my own magazine there for a little while. And uh, Ryan DeLuca, the founder of bodybuilding.com, needed an editor-in-chief. So that then brought me to Boise, Idaho. But I competed in natural bodybuilding from around, two, from 99 to two. 2009. And even though I didn't really like getting up on stage in front of people in nothing but underwear, really, I liked the goal setting to it. It gave me a sense of urgency. And it gave me a purpose to work towards something. And I'd always participated in individual sports. So whether it be like motocross, I went into downhill mountain bike racing. And then bodybuilding was a personal journey as well, as as well as like Ironman. And we could talk about that later. So it's always been a personal journey for me. You know, sometimes you can learn a little bit more about yourself in the grind, in that last mile, in that last rep, or that last minute in the ice bath, than you actually do reading a book sometimes. So, you know, that really ingrained itself into me. And it was therapy and it still is. It's definitely mental therapy. That's probably the most important aspect that I get from physical movement. It's not so much, you know, look at the pecs, look at the delts. My insecurities probably want those pecs and delts, but it's the mental therapy that I get out of, you know, this industry more than anything.
2: So, today, are you relatively pain free?
0: With injuries? Yeah, as I'm you know stood here talking to you right now, yeah, no injuries, however, or no pain. However, when I do work out or if I do move certain things, certain ways, I've accumulated so many injuries over the year over the years, then some of them do rear their ugly head. It's weird. It's not so much. In the gym, I feel them. It's always when I'm doing more endurance work, that constant repetition from running, you know, they all they, they, they rear their ugly heads. But the most, the worst injury that I got was like a couple of years ago when I was snowboarding. I love snowboarding. And I ragdolled it down the mountain and I tore 68% of my tricep off the bone. So that was a gnarly one. I've become quite used to pain. So the pain wasn't the issue. It was just a complication of the injury. So I've flown overseas for stem cells to really help with that recovery. And this is kind of like a career changing injury and it hasn't changed my course. So I feel that the lifestyle that I've been living has allowed me to help me heal a lot quicker and more efficiently than the doctor's thought I would.
2: Maybe we can actually just talk a little bit more about that because I'm so interested in all of this. How do you feel about peptides? I did that for the first time this week, actually.
0: Yeah, I love peptides, all dependent on, you know, which ones are needed. Obviously, for injuries, BPC-157, TB-500, things like that, great, absolutely phenomenal. You know, there's a GHKCU peptide that I really like for skin and hair, And, you know, CJC, we could talk about, yeah, several for, you know, growth hormone releasing, as opposed to someone going for growth hormone, but natural growth hormone releasing peptides are great. And he's bioregulating peptides. I don't know if you know much about them, are absolutely phenomenal. So these bioregulating peptides mostly come in oral form and they could be specifically targeted for your kidney, for your liver, for your pineal gland. So these sequences of amino acids that were first discovered in Russia during the Cold War, have just really changed the lives in people. Some people have had some, I can't remember the name of the de- disease where they lose their eyesight at a very young age. Some of these bioregulating peptides have actually restored the eyesight of some of these people. So yeah, absolutely phenomenal if used in a proper way.
2: I've heard about them for so long, but I finally did them this week, like a local injection in an area of my knee that I have some pain with. The doctor was just all about it and was like, oh, I need to be doing these more. What are some other post-injury methods and also just ongoing to prevent injury? Red light, massage, cold, all the things...
0: Yeah. Well, preventing injury, it, sometimes it's a little bit difficult. Like the majority of my injuries have come from like crashing mountain bikes, motocross, surfing, snowboarding. So there's nothing I can do to prepare myself for that really, other than not get older. <laughs> but, you know, post-injury, like uh, when I had a couple of surgeries and usually as soon as I come out of that surgery, I have my shaker. This may sound meathead of me now with glutamine in there. I'll have essential amino acids and I'll have a uh, full spectrum of amino acids come in a form of like a protein isolate because these are the building blocks of connective tissue. And glutamine is actually fed to burn victims in a lot of hospitals in Europe and Scandinavia because it's wound healing. And obviously... You know much like bodybuilding we break down muscle tissue and through surgery you know it's a very invasive process so the faster that we can heal the more efficient that we're going to have from that recovery of that injury you know i'll usually have that glutamine i'll usually have peptides immediately following and you know specifically go on that course and yeah red light therapy of course can help with elastin and collagen so i do that on a daily basis anyway ice bath. I do that on a daily basis, mostly for mental stability, blood sugar stability, but of course it can you know, knock down inflammation as well. I try not to do that you know, after my workout because we want that hormetic response from that workout. So I'll usually do it first thing in the morning. When I wake up, I'll do a sauna beforehand, help with that heat shock protein that can help with healing as well. But just making sure that I have a very, very clean diet that's mostly protein-based, you know, because that, those, like I said, those are the amino acids that are the building blocks of our connective tissue. So, you know, making sure it's grass-fed, it's humane-raised, as because we don't want too many omega-6s in our diet because that's pro-inflammatory. We want the most, more along the lines of the omega-3, which is, you know, negates a lot of that inflammation. So that's pretty much the protocol. It's nothing... You know, woo- woo. you know we could talk about stem cells I've had several times since two thousand and seventeen. That's probably a little bit more woo-woo amongst some people, but it works, you know, I, I can say that firsthand and for my clients as well, it's worked. So that's something that I'll always invest in. I'm going to go overseas again in November next year to have another bout of stem cells because I don't plan on slowing down anytime soon, even though I've had a lot of injuries. you know i I love snowboarding. there's there's things I'm not going to give up. But I want to do whatever I can to ensure that I'm not regretting it by the time I'm in my 80s.
2: I'm glad you touched on the, the ice bath not directly after the workout, because that is something I've wondered about. I actually don't do an ice bath. But I do cryotherapy every day. Do you have your own unit?
0: Yes, I ha- have uh, the Morozco Forge. I've had that. I don't know. I think I was one of the first people that had that. You know, it, I, I was on the fence because I'm like, God, these things are expensive, but I was before that. I had the typical, you know, cattle trough, and you'd only do it a couple of times a week because it's inefficient. Ice, <laughs> yeah, finding the ice and getting rid of it, and you know, making sure the water's clean is just too much of a pain. So with the Morozco, because it's so convenient, you know, I'm doing it twice a day. I'll usually do like three minute, three minutes in the morning if I have time or if I want to make time. I'll usually do about a minute in the evening. But like I said, I don't do it around my workout. Before my workout is absolutely fine. There's studies that actually show that you can actually perform better You know, I don't know if you've looked into these cooling devices, like there's an Ava cooling device where you can hold on to between your sets in a workout, for instance. Or, you know, if you're just on the bench and you're in a basketball game, I know LeBron James is actually using something like that, where it just cools you down through the hands so you can recover more efficiently between your sets or, you know, between your games, so to speak. So I think it has a similar effect from an ice bath where it really does help with the vasodilation, it helps with the performance, helps with testosterone levels. But obviously post-workout, we want that inflammatory response. We want that hormetic response so we can heal and be stronger for that, for our next session, our next game, our next workout.
2: Do you know how long? Like, is it hours or like you just don't do it that day?
0: Oh, no, no, no. Like, I'd I'd leave it for at least three hours post-workout. That's what I tell my clients. anyway. Make sure that you have that hormetic response, which usually decreases after an hour or so, but you want to completely out the system, play it safe, two and a half, three hours.
2: This is kind of an esoteric question, but it's something I've thought about with myself and then I was thinking about it a lot with everything that you were talking about mentally what you were experiencing with your experience <laughs> with all these endeavors. You know I was mentioning in the beginning that like I said I really I love movement. I really appreciate its effect on health and longevity, but I've I've never wanted to run a race or do bodybuilding. Like I've just never wanted to do any of that, but I'm very similar to things you were saying about goal setting and the individual versus community sports. Like I don't, (laughs) I don't like community type. I mean, I I love community and social relations, but I, if I had to do a sport, I would never want to do a team sport. And it's not because now I'm coming off as very selfish. It's it's more just because I like what you were saying about, you know, it's all on you and you're in a way competing against yourself. and, And that's what I really like and appreciate. Why do you think this is what gives people dopamine and not other people? Like, why do you think you gravitate towards these grand athletic endeavors do you think it's like a a gene is it a type of person
0: it could be a bit of both, because if I think of my family, they're pretty much... Well, my mother's side of the family is definitely much more social, where my father's side of the family isn't. I grew up on a farm as well, away from anybody. I was a only child until the age of nine. You know, my best friends were animals, or just adventure, maybe an action man figure. And that was it. So I did, I didn't really fit in at school. I didn't like school, didn't enjoy being there. I just wanted to be at home didn't like, didn't, couldn't understand why we were learning about religious education or geography or anything like that at that time. And I couldn't retain the content. And I just felt, I just felt singled out in a certain way. You know, I just didn't feel like I belonged there. So maybe it's part genetic, maybe it's part of my upbringing, you know, it's like, if you look at team captains, some of the team captains will encourage some of the people within the team, but they will actually bark orders at others because they respond differently. So I think everyone's going to be different to a certain degree, just like we have different personalities, character traits. I do understand that you know social connection is very good for longevity and it's probably the only biohack that I'm not really employing as often as I could or should. But you know, maybe there's some sort of anxiety around it. I don't like the pressure being put on my shoulders and I don't like to put the pressure on anyone else where if you, uh, you know, just doing an individual thing, whether you win or lose, it's all down to you.
2: Same here with, it's it's kind of funny with the pressure on people's shoulders. I even, like people often tell me that I should be a doctor or work one-on-one with people, but I, I like don't want the responsibility of, being responsible for other people. Like, I, I'd rather just learn what I can learn and, and share it. But going back to your, okay, so the actual Iron Man, what inspired you to do this? And not only to do it, but you were a bodybuilder and then you gave yourself six months to train to do an Iron Man and you did it. So, first of all, what inspired that? And then what was that journey like?
0: So, what inspired it in initially? I guess there's a little bit of boredom. I like challenges. I like to sign up for physical things that I would likely suck at. So, if someone tells me you're probably going to suck at that, I'm like, sign me up. So, you know, that challenge is I, I, it's engaging and it kind of gives you a purpose, makes you feel alive. Much like if you jump out of a plane or if you do a bungee jump, if you like adrenaline, it's going to make you feel alive. And I guess that was part of it. And a lot of people said, well, you're not going to be able to do it at your size, being 220 pounds at five foot eight. Uh, you're a bodybuilder. You, you know, you're know, you not fit. You require too much oxygen. Uh, but I like cardio. I've always been one of those weirdos that absolutely loves cardio. I, I don't mind it at all. You know, People think it's mind-numbing and boring. I'm like, well, I love listening to podcasts or audio books. I like multitasking. So it was perfect for me. And yeah, people would say that it, it, it's going to take at least a year, maybe two years to actually finish an Ironman. So I wanted that sense of urgency, much like the very first time I picked up a, a weight, I was like, okay, I'm going to do a bodybuilding show because that sense of urgency would allow me to get the best out of my training. So I'm going to make sure that every rep counts, So I'm going to make sure that every step or mile counts. So that was a part behind it. And I really enjoyed the social community. The social pipeline that I'd plugged myself in here in Boise was astounding. You know, there's so many professional triathletes here. I couldn't believe it. You know, I trained very, very different to those people. You know, I was like a traveling buffet when we were going out riding where they're just eating one bar or gel or something because I required so much more fuel. But I just, I just love the community and I love the process and I love the challenge. And I've gone ahead and I've done several Ironman since then and ultra marathons and things, things like that. It is just a beautiful challenge. And I know, okay, if you push it to the extreme, Maybe it's not going to be good for your heart. Maybe it's not going to be good for your hormonal levels. So I try to be efficient with my workouts and do more intense work as opposed to slow and long.
2: To clarify, so at Ironman, so it's, is this right, a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, and a 26.2-mile run? Yeah. Does it, for just in general and competing in that, do you think, is it more beneficial to have a strength in one of those, or is is it less beneficial to not be as good in one of those? Like if, you're, like if you had to be the best at either the swim, the bike, or the run, which would it be?
0: I think it'd be the run. I think it'd be the run because by the time you get to the run, you're… Is that what wipes people out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty exhausted. And usually like if you've trained going on a 16 or 18-mile run, you're usually pretty fresh. But when you do it as part of a brick session maybe, meaning that you've gone straight from the bike to the run… It's quite exhausting. And usually when you become exhausted, you become lethargic, then your form starts to break down. When your form starts to break down, that's when you get injured. Like I was very surprised that more people get surprised, uh, sorry, that more people get injured just doing a run as opposed to doing a, a PR on a deadlift you know? So it's just that repetitive strain over and over that gets people. And once that form goes, the injury likelihood really, really goes up. So I I would say, I'd say it it would be that. And for me personally, for sure, a lot of my running, I just did off-road because I just didn't want that compound of the hard surface. But you know, what do you do on a day? There's nothing you can do but but run it.
2: Do you know why they, they picked that order of the swim and then the bike and then the run?
0: Yeah, well, it was originally in Hawaii that they decided to put it together. So, so it was like a swim race, from what I understand. And then they added the bike. And then they added the run.
2: Then they added, Let's just keep out. So they could add a fourth thing.
0: <laughs> they could. Yeah, I don't know what that would be.
2: Oh, my goodness. So, in your experience of training, well, first of all, was there anything like going into it, going into the six months? Did the training sort of materialize the way you anticipated, or did you experience things in your training that you didn't anticipate? Like, wh- what were some of the techniques that you had to adjust? based on coming from a bodybuilder and now adding this endurance aspect.
0: Yeah, from, you know, instead of like muscling my way through this, I realized quite quickly I just had to focus on technique. So I had to focus not on just trying to swim as fast as I could. It was definitely on being hydrodynamic, making myself narrow, reaching a little bit further so I didn't have to hit so many strokes per length, because that was inefficient. As utilizing a lot of energy, a lot of food, a lot of calories, a lot of oxygen. So I'd burn out very, very quick. So I had to kind of think of going slower in order to go faster if that makes sense you know how to be smoother like i said more hydrodynamic when i was running i was doing whatever i could to, to be efficient with my pull of my posterior chain my glutes and my hamstrings as opposed to being you know quad dominant and using momentum so i did a lot of running on what's called like a woodway curve where you power the treadmill by yourself so I'm actually using my glutes and my hamstrings a lot more so that could correlate to the run. So it was more efficient and I didn't, you know, succumb to, you know, knee strain or hip strain or flexor strain. So that, that was a main thing. And then in the gym, I realized that I was definitely over because I'm a high volume trainer. I love doing high reps. 20 reps is usually my minimum. I just love the intensity and it works for me. But doing the high reps which i thought would actually help with the run with the cycling with the swim actually did the opposite it worked against me because i was checking my heart rate variability i was you know figuring out how i was recovering my heart my hrv was just tanking i just felt like i had nothing in me so i drastically dropped the volume of my workouts i lessened the exercises i lessened the amount of sets I was doing or the amount of reps I was doing and just hit heavier work and more rest between those sets. And with that, then all of a sudden my sleep was better. My HRV started to come up and I started to hit new PBs. And and instead of going from five days a week which I usually train, I had to bring it down to about four days a week in the gym, which helped immensely. And then when I was actually out doing, you know, the swim, bike, run, I started working on a lot more intensity. So a hill sprints and doing more sprints in the pool as well. And that just helped with my cardiovascular function. And it helped with the strength in the race as well, because a lot of races, like I've done races that are very, very hilly, But then I've raced in Tempe, Tempe, Arizona, and it's very, very flat, but you have a lot of corners in that flat race. So you're still having to use strength to come out of those corners of, for instance, the bike. So I found that the weight training really does help when you're working more explosive as opposed to volume.
2: Hi, friends. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash Conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. This is such a naive question. So Ironmans, do they happen all over? I was wondering if you do like, like altitude training or if that is something that applies.
0: Yeah. So fortunately I'm in Idaho and close to the Sawtooth, Mount- Sawtooth Mountain. So I'd go up to Stanley and I'd do some rides up there. I would do like a hundred mile ride. I'd go for a swim in a lake and obviously runs around there. So the high altitude training really, really helps. But uh, yeah, Ironman's uh, held all over the world all the time, all the time, plenty to choose from.
2: Are some of them known to be more difficult than others just based on where the trail
0: is? Yes, correct. So the one that I did... In Coeur d'Alene, I've done that a couple of times. That is known to be, that's in the red. So that's one of the hardest ones because of the altitude, because of the heat, because it's right in summer as well. Very, very hilly course. So that's in the red. Like there's one in Wales, in uh, Tenby, that's in the red. That's supposed to be very, very hard as well. However, the one I did in Tempe, Arizona, that I said was flat, that's known as one of the easier ones. But I found it just as hard because of all the corners and yeah, all the corners, just, just peddling your way, mostly from the bike, mostly from the bike. I just found it just as hard.
2: And so for people who would like to attempt an Ironman and train for one, cause you have so many tips in the book, are those tips specific to people who are coming from a bodybuilding background or are most of them applicable to most people?
0: Well, I'd say mostly for people that are coming from a strength-trained background or they're larger athletes, because uh, if you're a larger person, you do have to train a little bit different because we just succumb to so many more injuries of that weight that's mostly from the from the run, that compound constantly on our spine, our hips, our pelvis, our knees, our ankles, our feet. So it's mostly, mostly for the larger person. And obviously, you have to make sure that – you know, the bike is fitted specifically for you because a lot of these bikes are not fitted for people that are larger. So, you know, you have to have a specific bike fit. Otherwise, it's going to be a very uncomfortable ride, especially when you're riding over 100 miles in training, let alone the actual race. So, I'd say it is definitely more specified to the, the, the hybrid athlete, meaning coming from a strength trained background, but don't want to give that up to start doing cardiovascular exercise.
2: Well, speaking of the bike, how important is the investment that somebody puts into all of the specific equipment? Like, does it really matter, All like really fine-tuning everything?
0: Look, if you are at the top of the game or you want to be at the top of the game, then yeah, you know, because I know people in the Ironman community seem to have a lot of disposable income because they all go, hey, check out my new wheel. It costs $6,000 because it's so light and it's strong at that weight, but For the rest of us? No, it's not important. Like I've ridden a Cervelo bike in every one of my races and I bought it for $800 secondhand because I know, look, I could spend so many more thousands on a better bike and a lighter bike. However, I could go and drop 20 pounds as well, but I'm not going to do that. So it would probably be lost on someone like me. You know, the, the most the most important thing I'd say is the wetsuit. You want to make sure that you get a high quality wetsuit because when you get the folds in your armpits, on your neck, and it starts chafing, it's, it's not a pretty sight.
2: Oh man, so, so many things I wouldn't even think about. Yeah.
0: And if you've got like a big, larger chest, you've got to ensure that that wetsuit is, you know, fits that chest. However, you may have a small waist, so it has to be fitted accordingly.
2: You mentioned it in the book and just now that you chose not to lose weight. Could you have lost weight and still maintained or would it have sacrificed some strength
0: no, I definitely would have sacrificed strength. You know, so if you watch any bodybuilder that's getting ready for a bodybuilding show, usually they're about at least twenty pounds heavier in their "quote unquote" off season to their competitive shape, and they always lose strength because now you're in a calorie deficit. And I really didn't want to be in a calorie deficit while I was preparing for the Ironman because you you just go through so many calories. And uh, of course, you know, bodybuilding is where my pivotal foot is. I enjoy that activity. Like I said, it's very therapeutic. So it wasn't something I wanted to sacrifice. How do
2: you feel about natural bodybuilding versus conventional? Which, to clarify, again, all my naiveness is coming out right now. In conventional, non-natural bodybuilding, is it legal to use anything, like Steroids or is that or is it all just illegal, but everybody's just doing it?
0: Yeah, it's illegal, but everyone's doing it.
2: That's so interesting to me.
0: Yeah. In untested shows. You know, I I was exactly the same as you, Melanie, back in '99 when I competed in my first show. I had no idea there was such a thing as natural bodybuilding shows. So I went and competed in an untested show. I was definitely the smallest person on that stage, but because I was just so shredded, I, I managed to get on the podium. I was, I got, I got a good placing. But I remember someone coming up to me and saying, you know, what, what, what did you use to lose all your fluid? And I said, asparagus and vitamin C. And they're like, no, 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 like what diuretics? And I'm like, what's a diuretic? You know, I had no idea. I was very naive to it. You know, like I said, I grew up on a farm. I knew nothing other than what I was reading in, The magazines, basically. And they're not talking about steroids or anything like that. But yeah, it's prevalent throughout bodybuilding. You know, some of my best friends are competing on the Olympian stage, you know, but that's their choice. And if that is what they want to do to be the best, you know, that that's up to them, you know, that they're not in McDonald's eating crap and they're not, you know, drinking copious amounts of alcohol and destroying their health. And a lot of these people, you know, I'm not defending them by any means, but a lot of them are getting their blood work done every three to six months. And unfortunately it's the amateurs that actually look up to the pro bodybuilders. That are actually doing it more haphazardly. And they're not doing it with any guidance. They're looking at what someone's saying online. And that's what they're doing. So that's the unfortunate thing. The people that you see in your local gym that may be on it are probably taking more and, you know, disregarding their health than the actual professional bodybuilders that we see in the magazines.
2: It's interesting to me because there's, you know, these quote, natural competitions when technically it's all supposed to be natural sounds like.
0: Yeah, well, it's supposed to be, but every, everybody who follows the untested shows knows that everybody's untested. You know, everybody in that audience knows that the people on stage are untested. But when you go to a, a natural bodybuilding show, you know, those are the ones that I've always uh, competed in. Yeah, you'll have your blood test, you'll have your ru- urine test, you'll have your polygraph test. So you know that you are not going into that show basically on a bicycle racing against motorbikes. But if you want to go and race against the motorbikes, then you have to be a motorbike.
2: Do people trick the system and purposely do natural ones and get around it somehow?
0: I don't think they do. However, I do know of an organization that doesn't exist anymore that used to do testing, but that test never made it to the lab. It would end up in a skip, you know, in, in the trash around the back. So, they'd test people just to say, hey, we got tested. But those tests never made it anywhere. You know, everybody passed.
2: Oh, okay. Gotcha. Like, can you take, because you mentioned like diuretics, for example. So, there's like pharmaceutical diuretics, but then there's like dandelion. Like, does that count as a, a diuretic?
0: No, natural diuretics like dandelion, vitamin C, asparagus. No, that's absolutely fine. It's, it's the pharmaceuticals that are banned.
2: okay. Gotcha. Speaking of pharmaceuticals and supplements, this would be a fun tangent. I got really excited reading your book because you talk about your journey creating your supplement line, Caged Supplements. And it made me so happy because I launched a supplement line last November, so like 2021. And it was for very similar reasons to what you discuss in the book what you were saying with all of your concerns with conventional supplements, and it was things also specific to bodybuilding supplements that I wasn't even aware of. So what was your journey with with your supplement line? What made you decide to start it and what was that process like?
0: Well, this is going back like 12, 13 years ago. I started filming what's called daily video trainers on bodybuilding.com. You can find them on YouTube as well. So I did a video trainer getting ready for my Ironman. I've got uh, video trainers putting on muscle, transforming, burning fat, et cetera. And millions of people were watching these video trainers so i knew that i had a responsibility now to you know not kind of put my hands together and hope that the supplement that i was suggesting actually had what was inside that was written on the label so i actually started getting some of these supplement companies tested and you know i was shocked that some of the ones that that were very very small companies The test came out perfect, 100%. But some of these very, very well-known brands were the opposite, which I I would have expected the opposite. So that's when I thought, well, I'm actually putting my sincerity on the line here. What can I do? Fortunately, when I was at Bodybuilding.com, I met the CFO at that time and the formulator at that time. You know, we'd both, we'd all left, we'd all left, this is going in 2013, 14. We spoke about creating a line. So that's where that came about because I just wanted to ensure whatever I was ingesting and putting into my body wasn't... Contaminated, it wasn't underdosed, it wasn't fairy dusted. So, uh, and you know, we have very different rules here in the US to the UK. You know, they have to be naturally tested, Uh, sorry, naturally flavored, naturally colored. You don't have to have that here. So the regulations are very, very different here, but I wanted to adhere. To more international or European regulations, so and I wanted the amino acids to be fermented, for instance, as opposed to derived from human hair or bird feathers. That's kind of why I went down that rabbit hole, and to ensure everything was certified specifically and mostly for heavy metals, as we know, could be a, a neurotoxin. So uh, I didn't want any heavy metals in that supplements because supplements are supposed to contribute to the health and fitness industry. But one of them, when they actually take a from your health, then it doesn't fit right. So uh, I wanted something that would actually contribute to our health.
2: Yeah. I had the same experience as you with, it's really, really shocking some of the things that happened. Cause I know when we were, cause we just, my most recent one was a berberine that we launched and it took us forever to find a source where it actually tested for the purity and potency that we wanted. And we were looking at, cause we got one berberine source and then we were looking at a company that currently uses it and they're like, they're on Amazon. They have like, like hundreds of reviews, five stars. But if you go search for the, like through the FDA database, you can see all these warning letters they have where they found like, like rat feces in the complex and like the ones that said they were gluten free, like high gluten in them and like all of these things. And it, it's really shocking to me how prevalent this is and how people are just blithely unaware And also, like you're kind of like you're mentioning, people might misattribute the potential benefits of a supplement to the supplement, but it's because they're not taking one that that is actually what it says it is or the purity or the potency. So, I, yeah, I I thank you for the for creating that, for actually creating the line? Was it difficult? Did you you partner with somebody or like did you find all the the production facility and all of that stuff or how did you do it?
0: Yeah, so fortunately my formulator, he had formulated several brands before at bodybuilding.com, the Jim Stepani line. So he had formulated several before. So he had very, very good contacts when it comes to, you know, third-party testing, contract manufacturers and all that sort of stuff. I just gave him the wish list and he went ahead and formulated And then the CFO, the former CFO of Bodybuilding.com basically put all the funds together because it costs a lot of money to actually launch one of these companies. So I was lucky, very lucky that I was able to surround myself with very good people. That's awesome. And when did you launch that? This is 2000, end of 2014, December 2014. Nice. What are
2: the fermented
0: BCAAs? So fermented BCAAs and glutamine and citrulline, they all come from plant sources. Um, a lot of amino acids can come from, you know, human hair, bird feathers, animal fur. Some people just don't care where they come from as long as it has the nitrogen balance. I did care (laughs) where they come from. So they have equal nitrogen balance, but I just wanted a a, a natural source. So they come from plant sources.
2: Okay. Gotcha. When you first started the line, did you start like one at a time or did you launch multi-products do you have like a keystone product or your favorite product or is it really just based on the individual
0: yeah it's definitely based on the individual like the pre-workout is the flagship it seems to be the best seller based on my demographic i guess but we started off with single form amino acids you know i know some founders and ceos in the industry and they thought we were crazy you know we people would usually launch like a pre-workout or a protein powder or something like that first But I really wanted to shake the tree a little bit because nobody knew where a lot of these amino acids were derived from. So I knew that I'd shake the tree because there isn't a supplement company out there that's going to say, hey, my aminos come from human hair. So I shook the tree and let people know that this is, you know, people in my industry know this, but you don't. So that's what we started off with, like glutamine. We started off with the BCAAs, citrulline, and something called hydrocharge, which is an electrolyte drink with antioxidants. It's got a spectra blend of antioxidants antioxidants in there. So that was like your flavoring system. So I've got a meathead gallon jug next to me right now, and I have the hydrocharge in there. So I'm drinking my electrolytes throughout the day, but I also add my other amino acids such as my glutamine and my citrulline to that as well. So that's what we launched initially. And then we came out with our formulated products that were the blended products, such as a pre-workout an intra-workout and a post-workout products so that's how we expanded and then we started expanded into probiotics into like greens organic greens products and you know high i say high levels of EPA and DHAs in an omega 3 supplement so we started to venture out a little bit more into that once we had our flagships
2: some more questions about the the pre workouts and amino acids in general so i'm also the host of the intermittent fasting podcast which granted it's people asking from a different perspective they're Mostly asking based on their fasting lifestyle and do these things break a fast? But we do get a lot of questions about should I take pre workouts? Should I take BCAAs? So, fasting question aside, I feel like there's a lot of debate out there about BCAAs. So, how do you feel about BCAAs and who needs them? Is it just people who have very specific performance goals when it comes to bodybuilding, or could your everyday athlete benefit from them?
0: Yeah, I'd say BCAAs are going to be more so for the athlete. And the high levels of leucine, I probably wouldn't suggest that in a fasting protocol. I'd suggest EAAs, your essential amino acids, which are going to have lower amounts of leucine. Because like, much like if you're in ketosis, you know, the the leucine can... You know, take you out of uh, ketosis. So, I wouldn't suggest the BCAAs. So, I do a controlled fast where I do allow my clients who are mostly working out essential amino acids and glutamine during their fasting window. But look, if you're following someone like Dr. Sachin Panda or Jason Fung, then look, you can't even have a cup of tea. So there's going to be a different protocol for that specific person. But because most of my athletes, uh, most of my clients are working out, then I do suggest, and they're trying to build muscle or lose fat and maintain muscle, then I do suggest amino acids. So essential amino acids, not BCAAs, glutamine and electrolytes.
2: And how do you feel about creatine specifically? I feel like that's becoming more and more popular. I get a lot of questions about it on the show.
0: Yeah, creatine's great. I take it all year round. I don't take it just if I'm going through a muscle building phase or fat loss phase. You know, it has a lot of benefits further than performance. It has nootropic effects. So yeah, you know, uh, providing that that individual is hydrated because it does volumize the cells, then it's absolutely fine. You know, obviously it can contribute to higher creatinine levels if you're having your blood work done. So you're looking at your bun levels, your creatinine levels. They can increase slightly, but that's just part of the waste product. So it's absolutely fine, providing, as I said, that you're hydrated.
2: Does it create hydration specifically in the muscles or is it like all over? Like, do you just retain water all over?
0: No, 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 in the muscles. So it's cell volumizing within the muscle cell. Only if that person is dehydrated, that they're going to have sub- subcutaneous fluid holding. You know, it's like if I if I deal with like uh, oh, I deal with a lot of obese clients. A lot of the time, they have edemas and they're holding a lowered lot of subcutaneous fluid just because they're not hydrated. They're just not drinking enough, and usually after a couple of weeks of drinking much more water, then they lose that fluid.
2: Okay, and then similar to the question about the the ice baths and the cold water after workouts. Do you have thoughts on taking supplements or drinks that have antioxidants while working out? Do you think that negates any of the body's natural antioxidant response?
0: Yes, correct. So I, I wouldn't suggest high levels of antioxidants like vitamin E or anything like that around your workouts because, yeah, that's going to negate that hormetic response that you want from your workout or can certainly contribute towards it. So I generally don't have my clients, or and I generally don't do myself, have a lot of antioxidants around workout time.
2: And then what about protein from food? You mentioned earlier following a high-protein diet i follow a very like i basically eat protein as my my main thing and fill out beyond there how do you feel about adequate protein intake or ideal protein intake and protein sources do you favor a certain type of protein over another We get a lot of questions about protein.
0: Yeah, it all depends on a certain time of day, I guess, as well. Like, if that person is working out, then you want to have a a more bioavailable protein around your workout. So, let's say prior to your workout, you could have like eggs, you could have fish along with your carbohydrate source, the glycogen needed to fuel your workout. And then post workout is usually a protein isolate that has a smaller fraction or a smaller peptide to get into your system very, very efficiently. And then around that, you know, the the other times, and it doesn't really matter, I don't believe, if it comes from, you know, like poultry, as long as it's humane raised, or if it's coming from a steak, as long as it's grass fed. I don't, you know, I think it's good to mix up your amino acid sources, but the only time that I would suggest that you change that protocol is if you're working out and you have a higher bioavailable type of protein, such as your fish, such as your egg rights. So it's easier to digest and break down around your workouts. But I like to mix up the protein sources. You know, I like to have, I, I do eat organs. I'll have organs as well on a daily basis, mostly liver or heart, you know, just to ensure, because like as a bodybuilder, we usually eat a lot of muscle meat. Actually, the majority of the world eats a lot of muscle meat. So we're just getting so much methionine, which can lead to the onset of aging. So I think it's very important that we have plenty of glycine in our diet coming from collagen, coming from organs or bone broth or anything like that to kind of negate the effects or supplementation.
1: Hi,
2: friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits, as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash danger coffee with the coupon code Melanie Avalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit but sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with a coupon code Danger Coffee. So interesting that you mentioned heart. I actually haven't had it, but I was thinking about it the other day. Is it technically a muscle meat? Isn't, is the heart a muscle
0: it is a muscle but you do have higher levels of glycine in there oh really yeah and it does taste it does taste pretty, very similar to like a steak for instance
1: that's what I've heard
0: yeah yeah so my partner she's not into organs she's not into liver she's not into anything else but she will eat a little bit of heart because it really doesn't taste that much different but you know liver is my go-to really I when I was in India recently I did try other delicacies when I was in uh, Goa. I tried the brain. I tried the testicles. Not something I'd probably eat very often, but I had to try it. I was at the Health Optimization Summit in the UK last, not this year, I guess, this year, and uh, myself and Dr. Dom, I don't know if you know Dr. Dom, and Tim Gray, we were trying to get organs.
2: Dom Diagostino.
0: How do you, no, no, no. How do you pronounce his last name? The the biodentist, biodentist.
2: I know who you're talking about. Yeah,
0: yeah. So we we tried to get organs everywhere. We couldn't find it anywhere except for squirrel. We found some squirrel.
2: <laughs> squirrel. What did that taste like?
0: They were serving squirrel and pigeon, but it was wood pigeon. Ah, uh, it just tasted. I don't know. Like it's like a little bit of a you know, like rabbit, I guess. That's probably the closest thing to it. Yeah, I can't say that I've eaten rat, but maybe it tastes like rat. Oh man, where do you get the heart? The heart, I just get it from the farmer's market here. You know, there's a, There are several places. There's a place he, around here called Cunningham Pastured Meats that do it as well, but I usually go to the farmer's market and collect it.
2: I really, really want to try that sometime.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there's a farmer's market there or somewhere online that actually delivers.
2: Yeah, okay, I'm putting this on my immediate to-do list. How strict are you with your approach to diet. You say in the book that you haven't missed a meal in, is it 18 years or something? I hadn't. Hadn't. Oh. Yeah. Has that changed?
0: Yeah, that changed in, in 2017 or 2018. Yeah. I had to go for a colonoscopy and uh, they asked me to fast. I thought, okay, well, I knew a lot about fasting and I'd been reading a lot about fasting. I thought, okay, let me try it. So I started doing a uh, fasting protocol because I wanted to know, am I going to lose muscle? Am I going to wither away? So I did I did actually start fasting. And and now on my non-training days, I'll usually fast.
2: Okay, okay. This is so interesting. So what did you experience? Did you experience any muscle loss, any decline in performance implementing a fasting protocol?
0: No, nothing. You know, I definitely felt it. On larger muscle groups, so if I was training legs, for instance, and, I'd fat, and I was in a fasted state, I didn't feel as strong. Oh, I wasn't as strong. I wasn't recovering. I wasn't able to perform at my best. But on smaller muscle groups, you know, like arms, shoulders, not a problem. I didn't feel any difference. And obviously, I know the benefits of fasting. And I thought, God, if anybody needs to fast, it's me after eating so many meals over so many years And I wanted to reduce my biological age as well. So I started fasting on a regular basis. Like I did it for about eight months consistently to begin with. And then I just started bringing it back a little bit where I was just doing it, you know, a couple of times a week. Did you ever do
2: like a, like a one meal a day type fast?
0: Uh, I was doing two, two meals a day and it'd be like an 18 hour fast. I did try the Volta Longo five day fast as well.
2: You made it through. I tried. I made it like one day and I was like, I can't, I need more food.
0: Oh right. Yeah, I did it. I had, I had my friend and business partner with me doing it as well. So I think that helped, but what was so difficult is I was training during this time as well. So weight training and having, was it 500 calories a day on average? It was tough. It was tough. Very, very tough. And after the five days, I vowed never to do that again.
2: (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, I've had him on the show twice, actually. And the second time I had him, I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this." But for me, I think it's harder to have just a little bit because you're eating just like a little bit, and that's just miserable, at least to me.
0: Yeah, that's that's the worst. I think I, I I agree with you there. I think you'd be better off actually having nothing and getting used to it because it's like I don't know. It's like you're you're, you're feeding your, your your I guess your appetites foreplay, but you're actually not following through. So, you know, you're doing that on a daily basis. It's, it's, it's not a happy ending.
2: Yeah, I agree. Although I, I do know it some people do it and they love it and it's like a great reset. So if people enjoy it, do it. It just doesn't work for me.
0: Each to their own.
2: How about men versus women? Is there a large difference in how they approach? I mean, everything, but like protein intake for men versus women, training, are there special considerations? And do you work with female clients?
0: Yeah, I work with females and males, and I really don't have anything that different in the way that they train. The food is obviously according usually to their lean muscle mass. So let's say if it's one gram per pound of body weight, whether you're a male or female, that's generally what I found that works. I do find on a diet that a female's, I don't know, thyroid will downregulate a lot quicker. So sometimes as we're going into a calorie deficit towards an end of a program, let's say if they're getting ready for some event or some show that i will give them kind of refeed days more often than i would with a male only because i just find their metabolism down regulates a lot quicker so let's say for instance i'm just pulling this out of my hat that i'm going to give a male a refeed day of higher carbohydrates every eight days i may i may do that every four or five days for a female because i'll just find find that they plateau much quicker Uh, But the the training is pretty much the same. You know, we have the same muscle insertions. We have the same muscle attachments, very similar digestive system. So everything else is very similar.
2: Do you see between the two sexes, is one more inclined towards certain types of injury than the other? Or is that also pretty
0: similar? Yeah, females are much smarter when it comes to training than guys, I notice. I think maybe it's an alpha thing, testosterone filled, very competitive, you know, want to be the you know, the the king of the jungle. So we'll train a little bit more haphazardly, we'll have more injuries. Like you never hear of a female tearing a pec or a bicep. But guys, you do, you know, very, very often. So I think females are, are very much more smarter and articulate, like a, you know, like an artist when they go to a gym.
2: Well, when it comes to being smart about your training and your priorities with all of this, where is the priority for people? Is it the actual exercises? Is it the diet? Is it the mindset? Is it all of the above? If a new client came to you. I was like, I want to, you know, become the best in this bodybuilding. Like, what would you say this is the most important thing to know?
0: I usually start them on sleep. Sleep is usually the most important thing that I get.
2: Oh, I like that
0: answer. Yeah, I get them to prioritize sleep because if you're lacking in sleep, then again, you're dehydrated, you could possibly injure yourself, you're emotionally charged, so you crave more. So I I try to get people's sleep and consistent habits in order first before even thinking about the training or your PBs or your goals That is the goal because that's the goal that people seem to struggle with the most. You know, it's free. (laughs) It's much like if I tell clients to ground every day or meditate every day, well, it's free. It's not going to work. So that's usually what I get them to focus on the most because that's what they should appreciate the most. You don't recover. You're not going to perform. Your recovery dictates your performance and sleep is a big portion Of that performance, you know, your recovery. So that's the one thing that I usually get people to focus on and hydration. I noticed uh, specifically in Europe, uh, I have a lot of clients that just drink coffee and tea. And I think that's their hydration. So hydration is a big portion of it. You know, if your body's made up of around 70% fluid and you want to perform and maybe you live in a humid climate, you're just not going to. A lot of the time, if I look at, you know, all my my own progress, if I'm down, uh, you know, I'm just not. Performing as I should from a mental and physical aspect, it's usually not the food, it's usually the fluid. That's another thing, a component that I'll focus on, and the consistency. Because, you know, if I look at someone's progress from the neck down, it's always coming from the neck up. So having the right mindset, especially when you've gone through an injury or you're depressed, you just got fired, you've just split up from your girlfriend, it's that consistency of being relentless in your pursuit. Is what's really going to count and what's really going to help you in the long term, because if a client ghosts on me, it's usually because they've gone through a breakup or you know they've got they've been on holidays and they have shame now because they haven't followed the protocol as they should. But as I tell them, it's ten times more important that you put your sincerity on the line and be transparent with yourself and with myself for you to pursue your goals. Otherwise. Life happens and you'll always fall off the rails. That's why, you know, when you do the cryotherapy, do you want to always do it? Probably not, but you do it because you know that's going to have a transcendence effect in your life anyway.
2: Yeah, like to that point, we were talking before this about how it got cold recently. So it was eight degrees and I still went to cryotherapy and my friends were making fun of me. They're like, why did you go? I was like, it's it's about the habit. Like it's about just doing it every day, regardless. Because if I start making excuses, like, oh, it's cold, then that might dovetail into other excuses. So I might as well just be consistent.
0: 100%. You know, it's like when you wake up in the morning or when you go to bed at a certain time, you try to make that habit of consistency because, you know, there are going to be days that you have to do things when you don't want to do it. Maybe it's sunny outside, but you've got to be inside to work. I don't know what that is. But the more that you scratch that itch of consistency, the better you'll be.
2: Yep. I agree. For your sleep, I would guess since you're an early morning person that maybe you don't struggle as much with insomnia and sleep issues as other people, as like night owls, but I could be wrong. Have you struggled historically with sleep?
0: Yeah, I have. I had major sleep issues up until uh, 2014. I was diagnosed with mold toxicity. You and me both. Oh, really? No way. Oh wow, so yeah, did that affect your sleep?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know because there were so many things happening at one time. I just did not feel well, like heavy metal poisoning and mold and all the things and insomnia. It was just not a fun, not a fun place. The good thing is it made me obsessive with trying to fix my sleep. And now if I do all the things and I, I can sleep pretty well. So what was your experience?
0: Had the same effect with me. It's it's made me obsessed with it now. I'm part of a sleep hackers group as well, where we have to share our aura aura rings scores every morning. One of my clients is in that, so it keeps him accountable as well. So yeah, with the mold toxicity, we found that that originated from when I was staying in an apartment in India, very humid in Mumbai, very close to the ocean electrical devices don't last long there or appliances. So there was mold there. And my sleep was just getting less and less. I wasn't a good person to be around, that's for sure, uh, which is hardly surprising when I was on about three hours sleep. But I had this mentality, I'm still going to outwork you. I'm still going to out-train you. And I was burning the candle at both ends. I have a lot of resilience in me naturally. So I'm getting sicker and sicker, but I'm fighting and fighting against it, which is not good. I should have I guess acknowledged these symptoms and done something about it a lot earlier, but when you know, and, and I exhausted everything, you know, whether it's supplementation, medication. Going to bed every night was like getting on a 12-hour flight. It was just horrendous. And I'd wake up every 30 minutes thinking it's time to get up, but it wasn't. I'd only been in bed for half an hour. So I went to Dr. Spinag's clinic in Oldsmar, Florida, and he was the one that diagnosed me. And I stayed there for six weeks to go through, I'd say, quite a strenuous detox protocol. He would have had me there for a lot longer if he had his way and if I could have afforded it. But then I become obsessed with just you know trying to detox myself like of the heavy metals of the mold and become an obsessive of my sleep. And ever since then, it was so weird because I had a lot of inflammation in my body, in my joints. And I just thought, well, this is from weight training. Of course, I guess everybody deals with this. But when I was able to kind of detox myself of this toxicity, that the inflammation went, the sleep got better. I felt like I'd come out of a fog and I actually liked myself (laughs) because I hated myself there for a number of years. So that kind of put me in a quote-unquote biohacking rabbit hole where I just went down every avenue I could to just really optimize my health and help with my recovery, knowing that I really wanted to improve my health span and my longevity.
2: Hi friends, one of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Yep, you and me both. I was a similar story. I, I graduated college and moved into an apartment with mold and also the oven was leaking, carbon monoxide every night. But I was so high on adrenaline and like life that I just powered through and didn't really notice the symptoms as much like you were saying and then and then it was just like a crash and burn. <laughs> but it's good because this was before biohacking was super popular and and it really made me look up all these things. So I've been doing like red light glasses and you know blackout curtains and all of these things for like a long time and I I think they make a huge effect and I love tracking on my aura ring. So
0: Yeah. And it's amazing, isn't it? Then you just start looking into like, okay, is there petroleum in my mattress? What are the acids in the house? Do I, uh, you know, do I have rad and gas in the house? Which is good, you know, because a lot of us, you know, unless something life-changing like that happens, we'll never know.
2: I definitely went through a super obsessive period that I'm glad I'm not there anymore, but it's good because it really opened my eyes to being aware of everything potentially problematic, you know, toxic wise or things that could be affecting my health and really addressing them. And now I feel like I'm in a, like a healthy mindset surrounding all of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We can, we can go down a rabbit hole of quantification and then when that controls your life, you're just never going to leave the house.
2: Yep. So true. Was it an app that you have that tells you how many days you have left?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that? It's the Countdown app. Forget the name of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't used that for such a long time. We're talking about the balance and not using so much quantification. I know that that was, yeah, that was an app that basically gave me an average of how many days I have left on this earth
2: wasn't how many meals you had left
0: yeah how many meals you have left how many how many sleeps you have left yeah how many workouts that you have left you can populate it with all sorts i'm gonna i think it's called countdown but i'm gonna have to look
2: well we can we can put in the show notes
0: yeah i'll find it and send it to you that's
2: a really interesting perspective i want to look it up i'm curious what they what data you put in for them to decide that
0: yeah well they they go by averages. They go by averages, look. But if they tell me less, then that's going to give me a sense of urgency to live more. Yeah. Be a little more present.
2: Well, bodybuilding in general, endurance, all these different types of athletic trainings, how do you think they affect health and longevity and and your lifespan?
0: Well, it's much like balance, isn't it? You know, if you take it to the absolute extreme, then it's probably not going to be good for your longevity. I think a lot of us, you know, like prior to me, you know, again, diagnosed with malt toxicity, I was eating the six meals a day, but I didn't care if it was humane-raised food or if it was organic food. So if I think back, if I'm eating double the amount of meals than the average person, I'm probably doing double the amount of daver- damage, taking in all the antibiotics from the food, for instance, or the heavy metal contamination. I don't know. So I think You know, if you're doing it the right way, it can help because we know that grip strength and squat strength has had a positive correlation towards longevity and obviously bone density, things like that. If you look at the blue zones, like in Okinawa, you know, they sit on a floor. That's their resistance training. They get, you know, these centenarians over a hundred years old, they're standing up and sitting down on the floor on an average 60 times a day. So, you know, that is probably their resistant training. Of course, they're not going to a CrossFit box. They're not competing in Ironman triathlon, but there's movement and exercise. And I think in balance, it can have a positive effect. You know, how many people do you usually see walking the streets in their eighties, nineties with a lordotic spine or curved spine? You know that, you know, they've had a hip replaced. And I just think to myself, if you have just done some form of weight training. doesn't have to be to failure. It doesn't have to be to the extreme, but resistance training to give you more muscle density, more bone density, better blood flow to your brain. And there's going to be so many positive effects that you can encounter from that. And it's just making a sacrifice of being in a gym for like 30 minutes of the day, or actually doing some body weight movements at home.
2: I just think it's so, so important. I mean, if you just think about the stats, I don't know what they are specifically, but on mortality and just from falls when you're older, and there's so much you know preventative things that you could do by supporting that.
0: Yeah, it's always the same, isn't it? Because it happened with my grandmother, you know, fractured a hip or chip a bone in a back, you know, from falling over, and then usually it's a death sentence six months later if you're lucky.
2: Mm-hmm. I heard the stat the other day. I shouldn't say because it it's not good. <laughs> so one more sort of overcompassing bigger topic. You mentioned earlier the role of social health and social connections. I'm curious what your experience is, because you have a a massive following and, you know, a large audience. And what is your day-to-day experience like? And how do you feel about the social media arm of bodybuilding, which is sort of a relatively new thing in the history of the sport?
0: Yeah, I think it's good and bad. It's funny, I was having this conversation on a podcast yesterday where I really enjoyed writing for the magazines and covering the bodybuilding events and the athletes because everybody had this mystique about them. Nobody really knew that person other than what you would read in a magazine. And if you're covering event or that person's training protocol, you're not finding out about it until like three or four months later once that publication hits the shelf and i like that mystique about people you'd you'd always be craving more 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 what do you what are they doing where today there's no mystique however the positive is that you can ask that person questions directly now like i consider myself very very lucky i always say to myself i shouldn't be here i shouldn't be on this podcast talking to you right now i shouldn't have all these followers based on my upbringing and based where I came from, I shouldn't be here. However, I'm humbled by it. And I find myself very lucky that I'm able to help people with their transformations. You know, a lot of people out there, you know, that are obese, you know, it's like they're fighting a drug, which is the food that is being marketed to them. They're drug drug addicts or alcoholics. And you have to treat them very much the same because they have issues, they have problems. And if I can step up and help these people then I'm very humbled by that. And people have discovered me just through social platforms or on YouTube or something like that. So I think it's phenomenal if you use it and not abuse it because then we do know that there's kids – at christmas at 11 12 years old they got themselves an iphone and they're going to be in bed somewhere around the world right now scrolling with that dopamine fix and then the blue light penetrating their retina to give them another dopamine of addiction to that device because they're stuck on social platforms now so i think it's an a, a use and abuse relationship i'm super
2: grateful that i am the age i am right now and doing what i'm doing right now and this is the situation because i wouldn't have had the ability to, well, maybe I would have, but it gives you an agency to create, like just create something. So like with the podcasts and with brands and, you know, forming an audience, it's an agency that I don't think we had before social media. On the flip side, I would not want to be a child right now (laughs) during all this. Like, can you imagine middle school with social media? That just sounds miserable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not my thing. I'm really glad I was born when I was born.
2: I know. Oh my goodness. Okay. Here's a, here's just a random tangent question. I just have to ask you, you mentioned in the book how you get weekly colonics. Do you still do those?
0: Yeah. I do that. Well, it's not It's not so much colonics. I do enemas. The colonics, like I, colonic was a big part of my mold toxicity protocol that I did five days a week at uh, Dr. Spadag's clinic. That's how I got into that. It's not something I'm like, hey, I really enjoy this. But what I found is that I've had very high liver enzymes from a young age. And what I notice, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not a physician, I'm not telling people to go and do this. I got to be very careful because people say, what are the benefits? I'm like, these are the benefits that I've encountered. Number one, I just feel, obviously, when you're eating a lot of protein, a lot of it ferments in the gut. You get good bacteria, but a lot of back- bad bacteria if you're not totally cleansing yourself all the time. So I find that I have less bloating, and based on the quantification that I've been doing with uh, blood reports, my liver enzymes stay under control when I do the weekly coffee enemas. So obviously I'm very careful of the coffee that I choose, uh, making sure that I don't have any my- mycotoxins or high acid or anything like that. But that's what I find on a weekly basis. Every Monday I'll do the enema.
2: Okay, so the coffee enemas. I went, through a, <laughs> I went through a coffee enema period where I was doing them daily, which I remember the first time I did one, I was like, oh wow, I feel like I can climb Mount
0: Everest. <laughs> this feels amazing. And it's probably the caffeine fix as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. But then I I also, I really love colonics as well. So I I get really excited when people mention doing them.
0: Who would have thought that brought us together?
2: I know, I know. Well, this has been absolutely amazing. Was there any other topics that you wanted to touch on like in your day-to-day life? Because you talk about in the book how one of the um, potential concerns for people when they have these big goals or something like an Iron Man is they do it and then that is what was giving them, you know, a lot of purpose and drive. And then when it's done, it's kind of like, now what? feeling.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I I found that in bodybuilding where I would compete at a show because all I'm focused on is my meals, the amount that I'm eating, the time that I'm eating, going to bed, making sure I'm at the gym at a certain time. And then you compete and then you cross into the abyss and that abyss usually leads to depression. And that's why I gave up bodybuilding. I'm like, doesn't matter if I come first or second, I'm still depressed. So I had to figure out a different way of approaching life. And now i I just like to get ready for nothing. So people, you know, I still train with a lot of ferocity. That's my attitude, that's my character. And if people say what are you training for? I'm like, nothing. I'm training for life. You know, this is this is what I enjoy. People get into training because they love bodybuilding. I got into bodybuilding because I love training. And as soon as I realized that, I'm like, okay, I love training. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's Ironman or if it's ultramarathon or getting ready for a Spartan, I just love training. I love getting out on my mountain bike. I love, you know, snowboarding in, in the mountains. I love movement. And that's what I've realized now so I can be happier with what I what I do. But I have got a full year ahead. I am about to travel overseas again in January to train a celebrity. So I'm going to be in India. I'm going to be in London. I'm going to be in Georgia near Russia and Italy. And then I come back in March, and then I film a daily video trainer again for three months. So it'll be nice to be back in Boise for three months. Then I'll be heading over to the health optimization summit in June to speak there. Are you going there by any chance? Do you know?
2: Not as of right now. No.
0: It's a great event. I love it. I love it. So anyway, and then I come back, I film another video trainer in November. I go to Australia to speak at a, a like a retreat over there. And then December, I'm going to be heading to Columbia for stem cells. Because I'll probably need him after that year.
2: That is a big year ahead. With the celebrity stuff, is it like Bollywood type stuff?
0: Yes. So this is a client that I trained initially back in 2013. And I don't usually train people one-on-one. I just don't have time. But I I really respect and like this person. Uh, Riddick Roshan, his name, is a great guy. Absolutely phenomenal guy. So I did say I will help him for this movie that he's getting ready for.
2: I'm pretty sure it's way bigger than the hollywood scene like money
0: wise it's insane and just you know the the whole spectacle of it these people aren't seen as actors they're like gods it's unbelievable yeah it's it's another world
2: wow that's crazy well that's exciting yeah so for listeners we're actually recording this the day before new year's eve so that's very exciting lineup that you have Well, thank you so much. This has been so amazing. Like I said, I really enjoy and appreciate these conversations because it's something I really should know more about and I love learning about and I think it's helping so many people, which brings me to the last question that I ask every single guest on this show and it's just because I do realize more and more each day how important mindset is. So what is something that you're grateful for?
0: I'd say I'm really grateful for my nieces and my nephew. I've never been one that would want to have kids, but I feel like I'm a father figure to them, even though I'm not their father. So, you know, they they keep me grounded and make me realize, wow, you can just have so much fun without even thinking about it because we're always so concerned about how we appear to other people. I just love that. So I'm very, very grateful to them.
2: Oh, I love that. It, it reminds me. I was just reading a book yesterday, and it was talking about. It was about our different happy hormones, so endorphin, dopamine, oxytocin. But it was talking about this had never occurred to me. It's talking about how kids act like things are the best thing that ever happened to them or the worst thing that ever happened to them, but it's because it literally is the best thing or worst thing that ever happened to them. Because they the science of the book was talking about how our brain feels about new information versus a repeated experience. But I was like, that's so true. Like, <laughs> like things really are the best or worst.
0: Yeah. And, and, and they are in the moment, you know, they're releasing a lot more oxytocin than we are because we're always dopamine fixed for the future.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Chris. This has been absolutely amazing. I am. I'm so grateful for what you're doing, especially because I'm not super knowledgeable in this space, but. I really appreciate your character that you bring to this. And that really comes through talking to you and your book and your attention to the mindset and the health aspect and everything you're doing with your supplement line and the motivation. So I just, I really, really appreciate it. How can people best follow you, get your supplements? How can people best follow your work?
0: Yeah. Thank you ever so much, Melanie. Really, really appreciate you and everything that you've been doing as well and having me on the show. But people could just find me on Instagram. It's probably the best hub for people to come find me. It's K-R-I-S, Chris Gethin, G-E-T-H-I-N.
2: Awesome. Well, we will put links to all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much again and have a fabulous
1: New Year's Eve tomorrow.